Hey, it's Yannick Gustala. It's the Yannick Gustala podcast. We are back after a one week hiatus. I'll get into why I was off for a week despite being home in my studio at the time uh, in just a minute. Uh, but before we get going with the episode, very important announcements. Number one, the pre sale for the new album is still happening. We have a release date of October 17th. That is, uh, that's it. That's the, that's the day. It's the moment uh, that all of my energy is focused towards right now. I'm finishing this new album and pre-sale is going. It's linked below in the description of this video or in the show notes anywhere you are listening to this podcast. Also, tour dates coming up uh, with the trio, with my band, with Cliff Armand and Tom Corley in the UK. Uh, I'm giving a few clinics while I'm there as well. So this is all happening in November. November 4th, I'll be in Bournemouth. Uh, November 6th, I'll be doing a clinic in the daytime in London and a and a concert that evening, both happening at the Pizza Express. Uh, November 7th, back at the Pizza Express, we're doing two nights back-to-back in Soho. Uh, November 8th, I'll be also be doing a daytime clinic in Nottingham and a concert at Peggy Skylight. Both are in the same venue, clinic and concert at Peggy Skylight. All the details, all the tour dates, links to tickets, all that stuff available at yannickguizdala.com. Let's get into the episode. Time and sound, something that has been on my mind in a huge way, and a little bit of an antidote to the insane amount of hours I've been pulling, working on the album, just going through all the takes and going through, just going through all the rhythm section tracks and trying to make decisions on what I want to add, what I want to keep, what I want to, you know, ditch. I mentioned before, I think maybe, I'm not sure what I mentioned, on Substack on my blog or in a YouTube video or something, I have mentioned that some of the stuff is, is not making the cut, it's being left on the chopping room, on the, on the edit room floor. Uh, so, been working pretty much flat out every day every second of every day that i'm not taking care of the kiddo or spending time with my wife and family stuff i've been working on the album so been pretty intense and as an antidote to that as a release as something that isn't fitness and health related or family related or music related i've been back into watching a lot of watch videos i was always a huge fan of the old hodinky stuff with Ben Clymer, Talking Watches, the original episode with John Mayer, the part two with John Mayer, just some amazing episodes with Ben Clymer. Um, I've been watching, it's a little more modern and brash and a lot of cursing, but I've been watching this guy, Nico Leonard, um, half Dutch, half Irish guy. Uh, he is, <laughs> he's a bit of a handful when it comes to his reaction videos, but he actually seems to know really an unbelievable amount about the world of watches. And it's something I'm really quite passionate about and it's something a ton of people on the podcast have asked me to talk about a little bit before so I want to talk about why I'm into it actually and how that pertains to music and why I think about why you've heard me talk about time and sound being the things I consider to be the the most two most important things in music I consider those to be the two most important things in music time and sound and kind of how that links in with the obsession of it's, as you'll see from the few watches I have in what you might be able to call a collection because it's sort of more than three. I don't really think about, I haven't bought a watch in, in a very long time, let's put it that way. So I don't consider myself any sort of regular collector, nor do I have the means to do any of that stuff. But I do have a few watches, so it is somewhat of a collection. And how that is, it's something that's about, it's not about flashy Richard Mills or you know AP concepts, if anyone knows anything about watches out there you know what i'm talking about i don't have a box full of turbulence here or you know but i am super fascinated with 
the mechanics of it with the with horology with the with, with the engineering side of of this kind of 300 year old i don't know 300 year old thing that is still in operation and working today like when i think back you think about like the motor car or something and how it started out I probably wasn't the Model T Ford, but that's the one that's the earliest car in my very limited car knowledge that springs to mind. And I'm pretty certain that it was one of the very first cars. If you think about the technology involved in the engine in that, for instance, uh, and then you go to like, you know, I drive a Mazda, for instance, they couldn't, it's, it's run by a computer, essentially. They are so vastly different as to be unrecognizable from from one another. If you if you dropped me into like 1915 with my Mazda, people would look at it and go, "No idea what the fuck that is." But that Model T Ford over there, that's a car. Not so much, I think, with watches. I think the 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 basic mechanics of it is something that has been around and sort of relevant and still being worn on the wrist. Maybe a little bit more for show these days. I'm not sure everyone walking around with a mechanical watch on is is into it for the for the inner workings, for the guts of it all, for the, you know, for the dedication that went into the process. I think those, those are a few of the things that cross over with me, uh, for me with music and with horology, with watches. And that's something that sort of fascinates me about that. And the few people like the, the Roger Smiths and the, the, the sort of sort of legendary lesser known, they're not flashy Rolex or Hublots or, or any of this bullshit. There's some sort of very independent People have put in tens of thousands of hours into what they do. And I feel, yeah, I feel sort of uh, connected to that in some way. I feel like I approach music in that way. And the fact that it revolves around time and time is such an important part of my life and has been highlighted you know, every time I make an album, I guess this is what I'm getting to and, and to bring it to some relevance for people who don't give a fuck about watches. <laughs> the, the relevance here is that I've been sitting here listening to all of these tracks that we cut in the studio, listening to my music being performed, you know, obviously in part by me, but really listening to the performances of the other musicians I hired and how... It, what needs work, uh, first of all, where time failed us all in places and where we all as human beings make somewhat, uh, somewhat, some, some might call it a mistake. Um, let's just say time um, was elastic, <laughs> a little bit too elastic in places. Uh, but we're talking, I mean, we are talking about being very, very picky there. Um, one thing that jumps out to me about this album and about Tom and, and Cliff's playing and then of course us as an ensemble which is really important is that we were able to come together having never played together as a band before and really move actually use that elasticity of time to, to majorly to our advantage but do it with a common understanding of what the boundaries of that elasticity uh, elasticity elasticity Christ I don't even know how to pronounce that word but you know what i mean we, we we had a common understanding of what the boundaries of that were for us as a band and we we've discovered that very quickly we literally had one 65 or 70 minute show the night before we went in the studio and during that show and that was what it was for we only played one of the new tunes on it for instance it wasn't about rehearsing the music particularly for the studio it was really about feeling each other out as musicians in the context of that ensemble because obviously i've worked with both of those guys a lot in the past uh, but coming together in that configuration was something new and something we had to discover in real time together 
and discover it we did and just listening back to our performances and making decisions about edits and about you know what i need to do with these songs to really bring them into focus to where they become what i am hearing um has really put the time and of course the sound under the under the microscope in a big way and um my little escapes here and there like i'll sneak five minutes of of not even an entire episode i just haven't been even able to give myself that long like 15 minutes as a break from the editing has been that intense um but i will give myself five minutes or you know during the day and just go sneak an episode of talking watches on the hodinky youtube channel and 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 not even that, not even collectors talking about it, but go and watch restorations and go and watch interviews with uh, oh, with a ton of different people, a ton of different people in the watch world who really know about that stuff and discover new shit, discover new things that you're like, holy shit, that, the double balance wheel uh, movements and split second chronos and flyback chronos and turbions and grand, uh, grand, com- grand complications and all of this crazy deep stuff that if you just saw this watch across the room on someone's wrist, you'd fucking never know, you know? And I think we, as musicians, we sort of have that a little bit as well in the way we play. We can play the simplest, plainest sounding thing. And like that, that to me, that's what amazes me about the watch thing. And before I knew anything about it, I would see something kind of nice and not know that it was like a $300,000 watch or not, but but not know anything about how deep the craftsmanship went, how deep the engineering went in it, but be somehow drawn to it. And as an audience member, I get that, you know, I know obviously way more about music than I do about watches or pretty much anything else, to to be honest. Um, so I know when I go and listen to somebody play something really something you might consider simple, but it really moves me. I sort of understand how much has gone into the production of those very few notes and how someone can put such meaning into them and make the very simplest things be the most powerful thing you've ever heard. And there's something about that with watches as well. There's something like mysterious about that in terms of you see this thing is like, well, it's got the two hands. Sometimes it's got a couple of other things on there, you know, don't really know what they are maybe. And it's, it's a watch and it has a strap and, you know, that's kind of it. Like you don't, re- but then you, you, you then, then you like, maybe you hold it in your hands or you see it up closer and it becomes even more like, Whoa, what is that? And it's not because it's like covered in diamonds or something. And then suddenly you start to have an inkling for, Oh, so what, what exactly is that other dial, that sub dial or, or this other little element, or there's more than, there are more than two buttons on this. There are more than two pushes on this thing. Or what's that thing over the crown or all oh, that glass looks a little different or somebody takes it off and the back is like a, you know, display back or something and it's see-through or it's a skeleton. There's so many other things to it and you start to peel back these layers. So that kind of fascination, I've been feeding that fascination the last couple of weeks since I've been back from Argentina. Um, It's always kind of been there. Even since I was a kid, I was always sort of fascinated by watches and and always like just always were checking them out. I had no idea. I could not tell you if it was a, you know, just a piece of crap fake uh, watch from Chinatown or it was a, you know, Patek Grand Complication. I would never, never have been able to tell you the difference between the two. Um, now I know a little bit more about it and the fascination goes even deeper and obviously the respect. 
Um, the longing perhaps has increased as well because I know I'll never be able to own one of these things. It'd be like owning nine houses and carrying them around on your wrist or something. It's, it's completely obscene where the market has gone. But the, the fascination is there and the connection sort of just got rekindled the past couple of weeks. I had even put as a placeholder title for this album when I first put the artwork up on the website. I'd actually called it Time and Sound. That, that graphic has since gone. I have it sitting around somewhere on the, on the hard drive. But I'd actually used that as a placeholder long before I sort of rebooted that that watch side of my brain that had been sort of dormant for the last year or so and people see me wearing a watch and you know most of the time i'm wearing two because i wear this apple watch more for health tracking and fitness kind of stuff um heart rate and it gives a super kind of fake vo2 max thing but at least you can see whether it's going up or down which is useful i don't think it's that accurate but going up going down at least you know the heart monitor's great just keeping track of your workouts and your steps and those kind of things also kind of cool and getting motivated to stand every hour. That's why I wear. That's why I wear that, and that's why I have two watches on normally the the Apple Watch on the right wrist and then the whatever real quote unquote real watch I'm wearing on the left wrist. And um, also the travel aspect of my life as well, like having a watch that will show me two time zones, for instance, when I'm traveling, being able to set the bezel, especially on this main watch that I wear all the time. This is the Tudor. Uh, uh, Tudor Chrono Heritage Blue, I think they call it, which is basically a remake of their, I think it's basically a remake of their 70s um, Tudor kind of nickname, the Monte Carlo. And I've had this for about, I want to say about six years now. Definitely by far the biggest purchase I made, watch-wise. Um, and has since, it didn't start out with a particular meaning. It just started out with, I always wanted a good mechanical watch. And there was no way I could afford like a big baller Rolex or AP or any any of those crazy ones. And this Tudor was for some reason, I think it had been out long enough that the price had dropped since it had been launched. There was a big splash of Tudor back into the US market. And Tudor has since grown massively as well and, and you know, bought on huge brand ambassadors like David Beckham and uh, just a ton of people. And, and Tudor as a brand has grown with the Black Bay and Palagos. All these, all these new watches they're bringing out kind of went huge in the last few years. But it was just a way to own a really nice mechanical watch that didn't sort of cripple me financially and has since uh, become a part of my everyday life. I've been wearing it basically every day for the since I bought it and it's been on all the touring all the trips it's like i said amazing with the being able to tell the two different time zones on it and yes before anyone says in the comments but man you can do all that with an apple watch there's definitely nothing you know i have to charge the apple watch right that's kind of a pain in the ass and the apple watch is dependent on on so many like outside variables wi-fi and like connectivity and all this kind of shit but this thing will be working like 500 years after i'm gone and the apple watch will be completely obsolete in fact this apple watch i'm wearing i don't know i've had it probably a year and a half it'll probably be obsolete if it isn't already obsolete it'll probably be obsolete within a few years and the mechanical watch will still be going so that's sort of fascinating about that it sort of reminds me or maybe helps me keep a little bit of faith in my music also as well with the way things are going with that and everyone with a laptop and a copy of GarageBand can basically be I want to be Ed Sheeran these days um, and everything is digital and quick and fast and connected and and 
sort of the analog nature of what I do or what I'm sure a lot of you do listening uh, for a living, you know, involving music has drastically changed in the last 10 or 15 years. This sort of gives me a little bit of hope. I see some uh, yet another parallel there that this technology is sort of 300 years old sitting on my wrist and it still works. It's still relevant. It's still a really integral part of my day. Like the few times, this rarely, rarely happens, but the few times I forget to put this on or it stays on my nightstand and I get into some stuff and I leave the house. Maybe if it's only to take my daughter to daycare and I'm going to be back within 20 minutes, it feels so weird to not have something on my left wrist in terms of a watch. So a lot of parallels there, a lot of things that make me think, that make me appreciate what I do, that, like I said, help me maintain some faith in and motivation in continuing to do what I do when I look at something that's so old like this. You know, I'm a jazz musician. This shit has been around less than 100 years, kind of, or right around 100 years. And the instrument I play has only been around maybe 70 years or just over. We're talking about very new additions to society in terms of what I do for a living. And, yeah, it gives me a little faith that something that's 300-plus years old in terms of the technology is still going, still relevant. I'm still using it. It's a growing industry, not that I'm in it for any sort of financial reasons, but that is just a a byproduct of what's going on right now and kind of interesting that it is relevant to to a lot of other people as well. So it kind of gives me a little bit of hope and I wear it on my wrist every day and it sort of reminds me of that. Now, let's go quickly (laughs) because I know... I know there have been a lot of people that have asked me to talk about the watches, but I know that's still going to be a very small number of a uh, small percentage of the people who actually listen to the podcast, and especially if you only listen. Uh, this might be one of those episodes if you do want to check out these watches where you go to the YouTube channel and check out the video. We're also going to see if I can get my old ass camera to focus on some of these things. And I think I'm shooting in S log three here. So it's really grayed out for me on the monitor, but when I go in and color correct it, it's going to be, uh, <clears throat> hopefully it'll all look awesome. Um, so yeah, so right normally there, I keep them all in this, um, in this box, in this case. Um, do I lock it? I don't think I normally lock it actually, but it's a nice little like display box. There are two in there. One of them is my wife's. Ironically, my wife doesn't wear a watch, but she inherited probably the most baller watch in our house actually. And it's, uh, um, I think it's in stainless, but it's a a ladies Rolex Datejust um, with uh, diamond sapphire bezel, uh, Cyclops on the day. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> it's the, the irony here. Shit, it's not going to focus on it. I've got to get the um, the irony that my wife doesn't wear a watch, and she's the one with the fancy ladies Rolex. Okay, I'm going to try and get in here and focus on it. Is it going to go? Maybe this could be some time. Do I pull it back here? Oh, there we go. There's a little bit of focus. It's crazy. You can actually see diamonds and sapphires in the bezel, in the dial as well. The the hour markers are all diamonds as well, I think. Kind of crazy. Um, that was an inherited piece. And like I said, she doesn't wear a watch. She's just keeping it. It's hugely sentimental. Um, I'm not actually sure. I mean, we talk about diamonds and sapphires and all this stuff. I'm actually not sure it's worth that much in the grand scheme of things. We're not talking like it's a $50,000 watch or something. You know, it might be worth seven or eight grand, something like that. But I don't know. Actually, I have no idea with that. And that stays in the box here. She asked me to take care of it. She knows I know 
a little bit about what I'm doing watches and I have a nice place to store it so we sort of know where it is keeping the safe um, and normally all of my stuff is in there but I was traveling recently so I like to take a roll like this little cloth roll and put a few watches in it so I can travel with them and wear something different every day so one of my ones that I left behind was uh, one of the Hodinkee System 51s uh, Swatch they did these limited edition swatches Hodinkee if you're not aware is like how do you liken that to the music world I don't know actually they're just a massive uh, outlet, shall we say. They have a super fancy magazine, a blog. They're they're a retail uh, spot. They are there are a lot of things in the world of watches. Ben Clymer sort of started this empire. Let me see if I can. And they do collaborations with massive companies, and I quite like the swatches they do. They were sort of inexpensive at the time when they first started bringing these out. They've since like tripled in value. Again, these have got nothing to do with. Uh, with with being an investment or anything i just really like them and i I wear them all n- it's not like these sit in a in a box and just uh just gathering dust and this is even a um it's even a display back which is kind of nice so the back is see-through kind of a cool piece i have one of those in blue i have that one in blue Let me get my mic out of the shot there yeah, i have that one in blue and i recently took um, they did them in blue, white. I bought my wife the white one. Again, I'm not sure why I did that. She doesn't wear a watch ever. Where's the green one, actually? I have a green one. Damn. Okay, I had a green one. <laughs> I literally don't know where that is. My daughter was messing around with the watches earlier on, so maybe she took that. Oh, well, you'll have to trust me on that. No, I can't show that one because I have no freaking clue where it is. Uh... Actually, that's a little bit disturbing. Okay, let's move on. I'm really going to try and look for that a bit later on. Christ. So I have that one in green, and Chelsea has... I bought her the one in white. I believe... Is it the first or the second wedding anniversary? It's something to do with time, or with a time piece in terms of the gift suggestion, I guess. Who invented that? I don't know. Uh, but I did. I got her that Hodinkee in white for the summer. She's worn it like three times or something, but... In the in the house, we do actually have a set, which is kind of nice. Um, then it's really like about the 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 moment and the sentimental value of any of these things uh, more than anything. I think um, I know. I remember this one, for instance, is by a company, Swiss company called Pierpont, and I believe it's from the early fifties. And it's a um, door register chrono manual wind. It did not come on this uh, green strap. I put that on way nicer strap than it came with. But, And I'm really guessing here as to how much detail you're going to be able to see. I didn't set up the macro lens or any of that fancy shit or specific lighting or an overhead. But it's a really nice patina dial. I, you know, I was starting to get into watches. I was in Europe. It was maybe six months after I bought the Tudor. And um, I was in Hungary, I was in Budapest, and uh, walked past the store, kind of a really small watch store, but did sort of vintage other stuff as well. And I saw that, I was like, holy shit, that's beautiful. And there was something about the venue we were playing that was kind of old, and A38, that old ship that's also a music venue. It was just a whole bunch of things that lined up and sort of aesthetically fit with that watch. And plus it was super inexpensive as well. I think it was maybe 
$200 or something, which for something like that from maybe 51 or 52, in amazing working order, like I had it looked at, and apparently it's in ridiculously good shape. That was an insane price to get that for. So didn't crush me financially and it kind of meant something and I wore it for the rest of that tour it was super nice to remember that whole you, know, you play like 20 30 gigs with it on and you start to you know build a bond with it so there's there's that that kind of goes on with all those watches I would say that that's the same um same for this Croton as well another bill register a vintage chrono I think this is from the late 40s uh that I got in Madrid about a year later similar vibe you're going to see I'm massive fan of uh massive fan of dual register chronos manual wines um really like these watches it came with this kind of alligator skin or whatever this is looking um uh strap i think my next thing is to get a nice strap for it like the like the pierpont that's a real simple vintage chrono uh dual register manual wind really nice super crunchy gears it's like it hasn't been played with or use that much it really winds kind of kind of crunchy makes a nice sound i saw this i've uh i think i've only ever bought two pieces online i saw this and i thought it was just a crazy watch and it was new old stock so it was brand new never worn from the 70s with box and papers which i ended up putting uh kind of a much nicer strap on more of a rubber it's got that kind of racing driver feel to it almost and uh yeah i apparently have fucked this one up a little bit in the back that's too bad because it was absolutely mint when i got it uh but i've worn it as well that's the thing i don't buy these things to to just sit there this is a company called sorna s-o-r-n-a unknown super cheap but still a fully mechanical watch it's a world timer I have no idea if it's kind of a bullhead shape. I have no idea if you're going to be able to see all the names of the cities around the uh, inside of the dial, around the edge of the dial. It's got a day, what is it, a day, a date, and a month. Uh, day, date, and month complications plus world timer. It was just a super funky watch. Um, and I wear that one actually more than most of them because it's just kind of funky and weird and sort of kind of like me <laughs> just a little bit weird um and then the one i guess with the most sentimental value to it and sort of uh yeah probably the most expensive thing i've ever purchased as well like used like this vintage um was the watch that i got for my wedding um chelsea knew that i uh i was way into watches and she, she suggested um that we get something in rose gold her, we her wedding ring is in rose gold uh, rather the engagement well actually the engagement ring and the wedding ring are in rose gold as is my very very small micro light bass player friendly wedding ring it's I don't know, two millimeters or something or two and a half it's really small really light never taken it off uh, since we got married it's our wedding anniversary tomorrow um, really psyched about that four years tomorrow it's also kind of bringing a, a lot of memories back talking about these watches like that um this is another crunchy one. I wonder if I can... Woo! Listen to that. In really good shape. And I don't think... Now, the mic isn't hot enough to get the actual uh, sound of the movement, but this is a company called Titus Genève. So I know they've been bought more recently in the last years by a Chinese company, and they basically make, I don't know, a lot of quartz movements and kind of 
little bit garbage now, but they were a Swiss, um, I think this is from the 40s, so sort of mid-40s, maybe 45, 46, something like that. And uh, again, dual register, um, I think it's 18 karat rose gold, dual register manual wine chrono. Uh, let me see if I can get a close-up of that, because it's like my most, probably my most prized possession in terms of the watches and, and, and set, you know, most importantly, sentimental value, because the one I wore when Chelsea and I got married and uh, put it on this kind of, what is that? I don't know what you call that strap, actually, but it's like suede on the outside. It's got this nice leather vibe on the inside. That's cr- The crazy thing is some of these straps cost as much as some watches. Totally insane how the, how the like, what is it, the Patek Nautilus, the green ones? I think it was John Mayer on Talking Watches that was like flexing his strap collection. I know we're getting way into the weeds on the watch shit here, so bass players are probably hanging up the phone right now. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a passion. It's something I'm like hugely interested in, and like I've you know talked about a little bit before, it's something that makes me you know continue to think about the parallels between the the watchmaking world and the music world in terms of the analog aspect of where they came from and where they're still going, and how crazy watchmakers are still out there they're just doing more and more and more and developing like they're developing the engineering but still not going digital like they're continuing to expand on what cogs and gears and springs can do which is amazing to me it's that that gives me so much hope to be able to continue to expand what sort of wood and strings and fingers can do with a bass um and the fact that I get to wear a reminder of that, I guess I'll give you a close-up of the of the Tudor, which I didn't do yet. The, the, the fact that I get to wear a reminder of that on my wrist on a daily basis and, you know, really means a lot. You know, it really uh, is, is a great reminder without being too um, too crazy. So that's the, yeah, that's the Tudor. That's the daily, <coughs> that's the really daily watch. And uh, I have to be careful because it's quite chunky. You know, it's like a typical sort of Rolex Omega Tudor looking watch and feeling watch. It's a not a dive watch, but it is a tall watch. Um, this one isn't a dive watch because the bezel goes both ways. You'd be pretty fucked if the bezel, you set it for your oxygen time and then the bezel moved in the wrong direction. That would suck. So, um, yeah, it's not a dive watch, but... Um, I have to be careful, as I said, I have to be careful with my daughter when I'm like handling and putting on the changing table and stuff. I don't take a, a chunk out of her shoulder because it's a pretty hefty piece of metal to be carrying around. And I think it's 41 millimeter in case there are any, you know, what, actual watch nerds out there. And it's not like you can't look it up, Chrono Heritage Blue Tudor. You can look that up. But I think off the top of my head, it's 41 millimeter. And... You know, there are certain watches that are just crazy big. I don't think I could ever really successfully pull them off. My wrists just aren't big enough for that. Like the Panerai's, like those bigger ones, or the huge, like the the Royal Oak Offshore of 44 millimeters. Maybe that's a little excessive. But um, yeah, it's it, it took a little bit of getting used to. It, you know, bass player specific stuff to talk about with that. There's definitely a little bit more weight. I'm, I'm right-handed, so that's my fretting hand. Definitely took a little bit of time to get used to the weight. And the Apple Watch, this is on my right wrist, does have a tendency to destroy the hell out of the body of whatever bass I'm playing. Um, (laughs) So there's that little 
that little metal knob that pops through this uh, like Nike sports band that I have it on and it's right where my wrist rests on the instrument so it sort of uh, gives it a like a hammered finish <laughs> the wood the Matheson has been good actually it's, it's taken a taken a real beating and hasn't really shown any signs of wear because of the watch so um yeah that's it finally for everyone who asked those are the watches uh probably not going to be adding to them anytime soon I have more uh pressing um you know uh goals immediate goals um such as making more albums and you know, continuing to sort of make memories with these things that, that that stay with me all the time. You know, a few of you will have heard and, and have been part of the story, the journey of selling a lot of instruments and just getting rid of a lot of stuff in my studio. Um, the watches, I mean, it's just crazy that most of my watch collection can fit in this tiny roll and take up no space and require no maintenance and be really easy to, to carry around. Unlike, you know, even that, what are there five watches in there? Imagine that five bases, you know, the, the, the amount of space and effort and time and maintenance and work five bases take versus five watches. So I definitely appreciate the simpler things, even though these are massively complicated inside. Uh, they're quite simple on the surface. And I've just, I am just getting to that point in my life where, appreciating the simpler things i want to focus so heavily on recording albums writing music and recording albums just literally non-stop around the clock i've talked about it a little bit before about doing one big project like the one we're in the middle of well, we're heading towards the finish line october 17th right now from argentina but also making sure i'm just constantly writing and finding ways to collaborate with other great musicians and record that music and put it out there and and leave some sort of um some sort of presence behind uh, after I'm gone. I guess that's what it is. Is that a legacy? I'm not sure it's I'm thinking about it as a legacy, but I am trying to think about it in terms of leaving um leaving things better than 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 they were when I started, you know, if if there's any way to do that. When I think about all the people that I listen to and have learned from and have um, have enjoyed over the years, you know the Wayne Shorters, the Herbie Hancock's, the Brad Meldows, the Keith Jarrett's, the just the the, the Miles Davises, the amazing artists that have that, that were around long before me. If I can play any part in someone else's life or someone else's sort of musical journey or enjoyment or education of music in that way, I think that will have been some time well spent and hopefully it will be a reminder of this analog thing who knows where the digital thing's going even in the next five years never mind the next 40 years that i might possibly hope to be alive or the next 400 years after i'm gone no one knows uh, but the the way it ex- is is accelerating now in its direction it's kind of scary first of all and if any of us could leave some sort of reminder as to how effective you can be with very simple means when it comes to music i think that would be probably be a positive thing um so that yeah that's a lot of those things that's that's what's on my mind right now that's what's on my mind as i work on this album as i you know pick up my watch every morning off the nightstand and put it on and spend the day with it um really for me it's it's nice to have some sort of grounding reminder like that and I'm sure that's different for everyone. I'm sure you 
50 people could leave 50 comments right now and have a similar thing that was completely unrelated to watches or music that does exactly the same thing for you. I'm just glad I found a few things that do that for me and that they're quite simple and quite easy to maintain. And the music thing just needs a lot of hard work and dedication, I think, and the willpower to keep getting up and doing it. That, that's been challenged this week and, and, and last for sure. You know, especially when you listen to the same tunes over and over and over again. And it's not only the same tunes, but it's the same few takes of the same few tunes that you wrote already. So you know them more than you should. That's that's a challenge. And you know, it's as an artist, who's, I've made a bunch of records before. I know it's coming. I know that's part of the job, but it might be one of the toughest parts of the job. Like the fun part is being in the studio for four days and being there with your friends and laughing and joking. And sometimes it's hard, don't get me wrong, and we had to work through some some things. But that's the, the probably the most fun part. And then you hit this barrier, this wall rather, of really hard work, which is what's going on now. And then you start to ease towards, you know, you things start to come into focus and you start to ease towards that release date and and hope returns shall we say that's what it feels like i've had the two weeks of like shit i have to do this and i can't put it off i've purposely given myself two and a half months to do the edit the mix and the documentary like i had to tell myself this week and last don't fuck it up don't waste away the time you you gave yourself because you know how much of a pain in the ass it is if you wait until the last minute so i really sort of forced myself to do it and I'm so happy I did. Like I have like so many notes, all the the track listing, even the, the album sequences almost sort of set, I think. But I'm I'm way farther ahead after just two weeks than I was on the last album, for instance. And hopefully this will all sort of um roll over into the next projects and just the pro- help the process get better and better. Not easier give me hopefully it will give me more tools to troubleshoot the issues as and when they come up that's what that's what it feels like it feels like a really good use of my time i was talking to a friend the other night about uh about social media and they were asking like well so how was that like giving up social media and not having the apps and was it a shock and you you had like tens or hundreds of thousands of followers and all this stuff and you just sort of gave them up and it came down to it that one of the things I remembered about why I stopped doing that was whether I scrolled on any of those apps for five minutes or 50 minutes or an hour or two hours, whatever it was, five seconds, I never once, never once looked back at the time I'd spent on the app and thought, wow, that was a really good use of my time ever. Not one time. And I can tell you every single day since I've been back from Argentina, I can tell you, chunks of hour upon hour upon hour that I look back on right now and say that was a really good use of my time and I made great progress on that thing you know and even in the moments I haven't made progress the fact that I've been trying and working towards a goal that wasn't just a a, a complete waste of my time or distraction like social media is um even when I haven't made progress, I can still look back and for the most part say that was a really good use of my use of my time because even though I failed, I learned something. And I can see that your argument might be, well, you know, I just follow the people, the things that I like, and maybe I'm into 
carpentry and I follow like 12 carpentry accounts or I'm into calligraphy and I follow 50 calligraphy accounts and I'm always learning something and isn't it but the nature of it is so it's too quick it feels like it always felt like that even when I came across something on social media I thought wow that's pretty fucking cool like that sounds good I want to know more about that the the disease that you know, Mark Zuckerberg and, and, and the like have given us is that our attention span has been destroyed to where we never really engage in that thing we loved. Not as much as if it was like in the room and analog and was the only thing you were working on. You know, that's what it felt like to me anyway. And I think maybe that's what it is to a lot of people, but they've refused to admit it because it's such an addiction and uh, a lot of people have asked me, oh, but your, your business and books and base studio and all, all the pocket, all this stuff is like online. Like how, how on earth do you survive now? Like my answer is always pretty well, actually. <laughs> I'm sure that like a bunch of people have forgotten who the fuck I am. And that's, that's fine. That is, that is more than okay. And maybe I've lost a few sales of books here and there because I don't run Instagram ads anymore or Facebook ads. But the the net gain in, in my happiness and well-being and basically every other aspect of my life for having ditched all that shit far exceeds what a few book sales could ever have done for me, you know. If if I've really lost a few hundred dollars here and there a month, I'll gladly go without whatever costs a few hundred dollars a month in order to have sort of the happiness and the focus and my life back in terms of not being, you know, engaged in that shit uh, as I was for many years. Like, I'm not trying to be like some high and mighty guru about this shit. I'm like just as bad as everyone else out there in terms of how I was attached to it. I just finally said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> no more. No more. And it was cyclical. It was not cyclical. It was it was uh step by step as well. I didn't just like cut it off one day. Um I did do it bit by bit. I, first of all I unfollowed everyone, I think, and and then I think I deleted all my posts, but I still had the accounts, and then I was using Instagram only to show the thumbnail of the Substack every time I posted. And there's uh, went about it, about it, about it. And then finally I was just like, all right, let's shut everything down get rid of it, delete all the apps, have no contact with it ever again. So somebody told me they were like tagging me in something on Instagram the other day. I was like, oh, that's not me, bro. <laughs> um, so I guess there's a couple of fake accounts out there already. It doesn't surprise me really. But um, yeah, it's been a very interesting experiment as well. And of course, my last album went out um, when I was still using all those platforms, Instagram and Facebook and, and all that, Twitter and that kind of stuff. So it will be interesting uh, to see sort of what comes of that now in terms of like comparing the numbers and am I able to do as well and break even and do all those things that I'm, you know, my, my you know, hit all my goals um, as I did on the last one. And so far, so good. We, like I said, in the maybe the last episode, we were at about 300 pre-sales, which was about halfway to where I thought um, I would break even. And there's still... Uh, what two was there two months to go something like that so and the pre-sale's been going on for about two and a half months so we're not doing so bad if um, 
if we can get another 250 or 300 people involved in the pre-sale, then it would have been a, an amazing success just to break even for it not to have cost any money to produce and then have this thing out there, this this new thing and this thing that will last and this thing that people can enjoy um, on their own time and discover for years to come. That's 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 huge. So... As I keep saying, I'm not making albums for uh, for financial gain, at least not now. Like I've also said that it would be nice if one day I could make a, my entire living from playing, writing, playing and recording music. That would be amazing again because <laughs> that's what I used to do full time for many, many, many years before Zuckerberg and all those guys came along. Uh, it was a lot easier to do it then. It would be nice to get back to that in, in the future. And I think it's possible. I just have to... You know, do a bit of a slow rebuild here and start, you know, defining what my thing is and doing my own thing and sticking to it rather than being influenced by by social media and all those kind of things. And you guys definitely help that in a big way. Um, The support is overwhelmingly uh, uh, emotionally amazing, Um, really quite motivating to continue doing it. So I appreciate that. And uh before I get all teary-eyed and romantic and soppy, I guess it's a good place to end. And uh, I hope you stuck around, enjoyed the watch thing as just a little part of my life that I've never really shared um, on the interwebs before. And now it will sit here in its current state on the podcast forever and a day. And yeah, if you have questions about that, drop them below. I'd love to talk about that stuff as well. You know, it's something I like to share. If you've got a question about, well, what is this and what is that? I'd love to be able to answer it or point you in a direction of, you know, Set you set you on the path to the rabbit hole of uh, maybe even buying a watch or just getting more into it or, or, or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be watches. Just having a connection to something. Maybe that's even just your music um, that reminds you to sort of keep the faith and maintain the willpower to keep going out and doing what you love. Um, watches are a very small part of that for me and uh, something I'm I'm really grateful that I'm that I'm into and have a few you know close friends who are into it as well and it's nice to be able to talk about that as well as other stuff you know you can't just always talk about music I can't always be discussing the pros and cons of the altered scale with friends it's just it's too much after a while (laughs) so I appreciate the fact that I have something else to talk about with friends and uh we drool and we um, we hunt after the Holy Grail of and, and change what our Grail watches are from time to time. And one day, when we're old and grey, maybe we'll maybe we'll make it happen. Um, and maybe not. Either way, I'm okay with it, and I'm just having a blast. And, and I can't wait to share some of the music with you as well. Um, we are getting close to some mixes, and with mixes will come three singles. We shot music videos for three singles in the studio, so I'm going to release those leading up to the album launch in October, October 17th. So there'll be three songs coming out. I don't know if I'm going to do a week apart or 10 days apart before that. Me, That would mean I would have to start launching them two weeks from now. Poof i got to look at the schedule, see where we're at. But yeah, those will be coming out. Really happy to be able to do that for the first time, to really make an album launch cycle in the traditional sense out of it. Release a few singles, have this goal of the album coming out on a certain day, and hopefully have a bunch of you go to platforms like Spotify and stream the living crap out of it. Not because I'm going to make any money out of that, which I'm absolutely not. I've got... That video is still percolating the spotify video the streaming video i want to make that on youtube and sort of highlight some real numbers and show everyone that 
it's not about making money when you're an independent artist and streaming your music on Spotify, for the most part, unless you get lucky and have some multiple, 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 multiple millions of streams. The the likelihood is you're hardly going to make any money from streaming, especially from Spotify. They fucking suck. But what they do show are metrics. They show how many listeners you have, how many followers you have, how many listens your music gets how many streams your music gets and promoters and club owners and booking agents and people like that take those kind of numbers seriously so trying to make trying to formulate the video that talks about you know streaming is shit but there are a few aspects of it um that in the long term if you want to play live could turn out to be financially beneficial the actual streaming of the music itself probably not unless you're ed sheeran with a billion you know streams on each song <clears throat> but long term and for the independent artist i think there are a few things that we should be paying attention to when it comes to platforms like spotify and really using them to our advantage so hopefully i'll be able to find some time to make that video in the next week or two that would be very relevant to the current situation hopefully you guys can go to your favorite streaming service and stream the living crap out of the album and really make a splash of it really make a real launch and create some noise because that's definitely what what it needs and if i'm going to go out and play live with the band and bring this music to you which is obviously my ultimate goal um it's also a way to help sustain a living as a musician not not only is it the most enjoyable thing for me i think being with my friends and making music and playing it live for you it also is one of the more lucrative parts of the business so when i'm breaking even or maybe not even on the recording side it's good to have another uh, element of the process of the cycle the launch and performance cycle that does bring in some money and does make it possible to keep doing this over and over and over and over again because that's what i want to do until the end so uh yeah that's it happy to be happy to be back here uh apologize for the week off it was just absolutely necessary to hit all of the goals i'd set myself in terms of getting the editing done or at least started on the album and as a result of missing one episode of the podcast i think it has probably helped bring up the quality of the project five or six percent at least um you can judge for yourself when it comes out october 17th if you're not already get involved in the pre-sale it's a link below in the description of this youtube video or in the show notes wherever you are listening to this podcast that's it appreciate you all appreciate you making it this far in the video i'll catch you on the next one 